Hello, welcome to Local Selection, the podcast on a quest to make local representation sexy. I'm Brian Hastert, and our guest today is the first out LGBTQ member of the Washoe County School Board, Kurt Thigpen. Reno, Nevada is a beautiful town. I had no idea, honestly. I kind of had an impression of Reno as this seedy little casino town. Which it totally is, if that's what you're looking for. I'm not trying to kill their tourism industry or anything. Rest assured, if you like slot machines and smoking indoors, Reno is still for you. But I was only there for one day, and I wasn't there to gamble. I was there to talk about school boards. It seemed like kind of a nerdish reason to visit Reno for the first time, but hey, this entire podcast is a nerdish enterprise. My job here is to spread my excitement about these public offices that no one else is really talking about to you, and I have lovingly embraced the niche nature of all that. So when we did this interview, I had no idea that the entire country would soon be talking about school boards, uh, although for pretty horrifying reasons. The consequences of that sudden and intense national interest will likely reverberate for years or decades to come because that is the nature of school boards. Whatever we plant in them today, we will harvest in 10 to 20 years' time when the kids who are in school now grow up and become full participants in society. But some of those consequences land right away, including for today's guest, Kurt Thigpen. We talk about a lot of important stuff in this interview, about how school boards work, about the massive amount of money that they oversee, $1 billion in this case, and the role they play in their community. We talk about Kurt's personal journey, growing up gay in small-town Georgia and getting bullied in school, not just by students, but by teachers. And then moving to Reno as an adult running for office to help ensure that LGBT kids in Washoe County have someone watching out for them. And we talk about many of the other ways that schools care for kids in addition to educating them. But what I need to tell you before we get to all that is what happened a few weeks after we did this interview. Kurt and I talked in May of 2021, and he messaged me a few weeks later to let me know that he had resigned from the school board. I was surprised because, as you'll hear, he sounded to me like he was really enjoying the work and he knew how crucial it was. But there was more to it. Harassment, doxing, threats, and constant vitriol. People were showing up at public board meetings irate and belligerent. They were angry about COVID safety measures, uh, masking and social distancing requirements. They were furious when the board approved anti-racist action plans and updated the sex ed curriculum, which is mandated by the state of Nevada. According to a moving op-ed piece Kurt wrote to explain his resignation, factions of loud, well-organized groups converged on our meetings and started showing in growing numbers at every school board meeting all claiming to be, quote, protecting children from indoctrination, and most of them not even having children currently in the district or even residing in Washoe County. Most of them not even having children in the district or even residing in Washoe County. Hmm. The thesis I lay out in the first episode of this podcast is that local-level politics are way more important and powerful than people think and that we as individuals or in small groups have way more power to change things here than at the national level. That there are connections, both spiritual and logistical, between the rules we create for our neighborhoods and the laws we create for our nation. That local politics are local until they are national. 
Neither Kurt nor I were aware at the time, but what he was subject to on the Washoe County School Board, that organized hostility and the threats that drove him to suicidal ideation and ultimately to resign his elected position for the sake of his mental health, that was all part of a well-funded national campaign. All of that insane bullshit about, quote, critical race theory, which is a graduate-level academic framework being taught to grade schoolers, all of the fear-mongering about schools grooming children by teaching age-appropriate sex ed or even just acknowledging the existence of gay people, all that rageful insistence that masks actually make children sicker, chants of, let them breathe, and parents and non-parents alike storming into school board meetings with their faces uncovered, defying public health mandates and helping spread and exacerbate the pandemic? To well-meaning public servants like Kurt Thigpen in the spring of 21, it seemed like members of his own community had just started spontaneously melting down and lashing out. It was unhinged. It may have seemed spontaneous, and it was certainly unhinged, but it wasn't isolated. These scenes were happening at school board meetings all over the country. It had gotten bad enough by May for Kurt to resign, but it wasn't until summer that the national press started to notice the pattern. In late August, CBS Mornings reported on the heating up of school board meetings across the country, but they noted that despite the dominance of anti-mask voices in the rooms, according to their own national poll, only 8% of parents wanted to ban masks in schools, while 58% of parents thought they should be required. Now, I'm not great at math, but to me, 58% is a majority, a pretty big one. So by summertime, it was clear that this wasn't just Washoe County, it was everywhere. By the end of September, the National School Boards Association, on behalf of more than 13,000 local school boards around the country, like Kurtz in Washoe County, Nevada, had to ask President Biden for immediate federal help in response to threats and violence over masks and quote-unquote critical race theory. It was around this time that the national press started to follow the money, and it turns out that the grassroots-looking groups, groups like No Left Turn in Education or Parents Defending Education, that had been whipping up targeted, furious responses to the same phantom threats were being funded by a large and wealthy network of established conservative groups and donors. I'll link to some articles in the show notes, but groups like the Manhattan Institute, Turning Points USA, and the Council for National Policy, and individuals like the Koch brothers and the DeVos family, had been busy creating the fictional narratives, like critical race theory in our schools, that were necessary to manufacture genuine rage. That rage was then used to open up seats on school boards, either through sheer violent intimidation, like in Kurt's case, or through recall elections. According to Ballotpedia, there were three to four times as many school board recall efforts in 2021 than there were in 2020 or in 2019. Most of those efforts failed, but some either succeeded or were brutal enough that the targeted board member was forced to resign. And the next step was to capitalize on the fervor they'd spent months and tens of millions of dollars working to create and get their favored candidates elected to those school boards. In years past, a typical school board campaign budget might be in the mid-three figures, hundreds of dollars, maybe a thousand bucks if someone had particularly deep pockets. In the last couple years, it has become common for school board campaigns to raise tens of thousands of dollars. In some bigger cities, school board campaigns might see hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars spent. The same right-wing money networks that funded the school board protests, and some that even helped fund and promote the January 6th insurrection, are now funding school board campaigns across the country. In these elections, a few thousand dollars or less 
can tip the scales and change ideological makeup of school boards from town to town, from state to state. But why? Why do these billionaires and former Trump administration officials care what happens on a school board in a small town in Texas, or in Michigan, or in the Bay Area, or some county in some state that they've never even set foot in? What is at stake for them? Well, it's the same thing that's at stake for all of us. Are kids allowed to learn that slavery is bad? Are trans kids allowed to exist at all? We know that education is incredibly important in shaping and bettering lives. Do we still believe that every child deserves that, or should public education get dismantled and sold off to the highest bidders? School boards are central to how 50 million public school kids in America learn to see the world. And they control how billions and billions of dollars get spent in accordance with that. The stakes are as big as our collective future, but the actual battles are fought in small rooms populated with regular people, people like Kurt Thigpen. School board trustees are elected positions because it isn't just parents who have a stake in public education. It is all of us. Kurt was kind enough to invite me into the recording studio of his marketing agency, Ace Studios in Reno, Nevada, for our interview. I just spent 10 minutes telling you why he resigned, but this interview is about why he was there in the first place. He gives a lot of good reasons why we should all care about school boards during this conversation, but I want to leave you with this one before I hit play on that. It's from the op-ed he would write two months later for This Is Reno, and I think it sums up the hope for what schools can be quite nicely. We only get one chance at life. I'd rather spend it working together in service to others than hating anyone because of our differences. Kurt, it's really nice to meet you, and thank you so much for having me into your office with your beautiful podcasting setup. Yeah, thanks for having me, and welcome. <laughs> um, so first things first, Kurt Thigpen. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it right. Yep. Just say the letters in the order in which they appear, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Um, and I guess first things first, let's go ahead and say what you what you do here in your community. Yeah, I like to say I wear many, many hats. Um, so I've, I've lived in Reno for 10 years. I moved here from uh, rural southeast Georgia, at where I grew up. And um, since then, I focused on my career a lot, getting involved in the community, um, worked a lot in marketing, and then eventually started my own agency five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just really loved the community here and always have looked for ways to give back as much as I can, whether that's fundraising for different nonprofits or helping promote different causes. Um, And then last year, um, I was approached to run for the Washoe County School Board here um, because I was very vocal about some issues that were happening Mm -hmm. and um, ran for office last year in 2020 and uh, won my election outright in the primary with 53% of the vote. Wow. So, and then I started my first term in January. And if you hadn't won with 53, if you had won with 49% of the vote. You go to the general. Then you go to the general. So you got to avoid a whole general election. I did. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, it was surreal and interesting. It still is. I feel like sometimes I, I tricked people somehow. <laughs> that imposter syndrome of like, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, but it, it was great. And it was actually really an awesome opportunity because I got to spend more time learning about the job than having to campaign for another you know, few more months. Mm. Um, and I got to take the time to get to know some of the people that work in the school district and um, some of my constituents and all of that. So I feel like I, I started in January as prepared as I could have possibly been without being on the inside already. Right, right. 
So before we dive into school board stuff, which I'm really excited to talk about, I'm curious about, you said you love the community of Reno here. Um, and I, this is my first time in Reno. So when I was driving in, you know, it's May, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And there was snow on mountains. I, you know, I've only been to Vegas and I was like, I'm in Nevada. I recognize Nevada. Woo boy, did I misunderstand <laughs> what I was getting into. It's so gorgeous up here, but I don't know the community. So what do you like about the community? Yeah. And you know, what's funny. I moved here in June of 2011 and the same thing was happening. I was driving through cause I drove here. And as soon as I got into Northern Nevada, I was like, why is there snow in June? <laughs> And had to break into my trunk to find a jacket that I had packed everything up, didn't have any warm stuff. Um, so it was so funny. But, um, yeah, the community here, I think it's it's true. It's true what they say. It is the biggest little city. Like, it's a large city, enough to where there's so many things to do and all of that. We've got an, the airport's five minutes from here. Mm. Um, I can get through security in less than 20 minutes, usually. Whoa! <laughs> so... Say no more. That's the that's yeah, the reason exactly. to be here. My God, you can go anywhere, and uh, you know we've got California right there, forty five minutes away, Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Um, you know it's a really tight knit uh, community. Um, so everyone is really supportive, for the most part, of one another. And you know, anytime someone needs help, you know whether it's someone struggling in the in business or what have you, uh, there's usually someone's willing to help you out. Mm. So. Coming from um, a small town in Georgia, even though that that had its own obstacles of being a gay person living there, Mm. um, people here are pretty open-minded, progressive. You know, they don't really care about, you know, anything like that. It's not a whole lot of hate uh, that that I experienced growing up in the South. So it just was a breath of fresh air when I came here. Mm. And it has just been a really good place to foster my own growth. Uh, so I've been very appreciative of that. Oh, that's just wonderful to hear. A community that helps individuals foster their own growth. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I was doing some, um, I'll call it research in the car, you know, as I was driving over here. Um, and, and I wonder, which do you think Reno is more, more proud of? That they are the first city mentioned in Johnny Cash's I've Been Everywhere, man, that song. <laughs> the first city is Reno. Or... Do you think they're more proud of the fact that this is where he shot a man just to watch him die? <laughs> I feel like it's the more the legendary one. <laughs> it's like he shot a man, <laughs> even though it, I hope that didn't happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, and you know, we we like to say now we're kind of like a little best kept secret, but I think it's the secrets out. We've got a lot of people moving here from all over the place. I mean, mainly California, but right. um, you know, for a long time we felt like we we're this little best kept secret we didn't necessarily want to get out even though we love tourists. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, you know, I I I tried to kind of um, I guess pass the baton a bit anytime I meet people, um, you know, por- before COVID when I would meet people and try and, you know, make them aware of resources that are available to them and you know, make sure they felt supported and all of that. So uh, it's it's a really great community here. And so you were here for how many years before you decided to run for public office? Uh, nine. Okay, so a while. You got mm-hmm. to know the place. And the office you chose to run for is, is on the school board. Yes. So first of all, let me understand something because it, it seems like the name of your position is you're a member of the board of trustees is what I have been reading. Mm-hmm. And I look at that and I'm like, how, 
in the world would I understand that that has to do with schools or the school board? Is it the board of trustees of the something school, something Washoe <laughs> County? Is that how it works? So uh, trustee is the official title um, of a school board member here in Nevada. I see. Um, so I know every diff- every state has something different. Um, I've heard of other districts in the country having like directors is the title. Mm-hmm. So trustee is just like the official title of a school board member. So um, I guess you would say it's the Washoe County School Board of Trustees. Um, I but it's it's I, I don't really care what people say. It's it, you know people say Washoe County School District trustee or something like that. As long as we know that's the district we belong to. <laughs> right, right, right. And and it's also it's a county position, not a so it's not the city of Reno. That's right. It's the county of Washoe County, which contains Reno and other smaller communities, I imagine. Yeah, and uh, if you look, and you can look later if you haven't already, Washoe County is huge. Mm. It goes all the way up to um, who do we border with? Um, I mean, obviously California. I think we go up to Oregon and, and Idaho. Oh wow, like, it's where a it huge goes all county. the way up to the top of the state. Yeah. So we have um, some of my um, colleagues on the school board have um, constituents that live all the way out in a little town called Gerlach, which has like 32 students in the entire school. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So we are uh, all of us, you know, have. Um, um, you know, constituents all over the county. Mine is is a little bit more manageable, thankfully. I have twenty schools, and they're all in South Central Reno. Okay. So I, I, you know, I handle that really well. But you know, I've got a couple colleagues that you know have to drive pretty far when they want to go and do school visits and right. things like that. And you are married, right? Yep. Do you have children? Not yet. It's something we're um, looking into. And it's so difficult, and and a lot of people in the LGBT community know it's so difficult to adopt, and mm. and it's something we just want to be like as ready as we can be, you sure, know, financially. Sure. Um, you know, the housing market here is a little challenging. We'd love to buy a house at some point, mm. um, but you know, we're still in a really good place. We love where we've been living at for the past five or six years, uh, renting and. Um, we live in Midtown. It's great. So it can't uh-huh. come, you know, it could be worse. But, um, <laughs> you know, we just want, whenever we do adopt, we want it to be just the most ideal situation for, for the kid, right? Right. Of course. Of course. I I ask, I'm curious because, you know, in terms of school board, in terms of, you know, the mission of this podcast to get people like psyched about local representation, there are easier offices for people to understand, oh, I see why that's important, you know, mm-hmm. like a district attorney or whatever, or like even a state legislator, state legislator where you're like, oh, okay, I, I don't necessarily think a lot about you, but I see what you do. Right. And I feel like school board, people understand what teachers do. <laughs> they, to a lesser extent, understand what principals do. Yeah. They understand what custodians do. But school board trustee or director or whatever state you're in is a more esoteric position for a lot of people. And I am... I want to know what is so awesome about the powers of the office that you hold and why, you know, if you don't have kids, Mm -hmm. why should one care about who the hell sits on their school board? Yeah, I think it's important because, and I said this when I was campaigning, everything starts and is rooted in education. Mm. We, you know, as human beings started there, we spent majority of our time there for what, 12, 13 years. Yeah. And... That is a direct result, there, you know, in who you become as a citizen of our country. And so um, 
I, when I decided to get involved, you know, I thought back to my own education and there were struggles with being an openly gay person. You know, I was, I was actually outed whenever I was 14. Oh my goodness. It was brutal, but I had teachers that were still somewhat sympathetic or, you know, helped encourage me to find, um, to get involved in things that would help me later on. So I was very involved in the technology le- uh, leadership club, uh, very involved in arts programs, and that led to the agency I have now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> technology plus arts. Yes, yeah. I see it. Exactly. And so um, I know that public education, um, you know, even with some challenges it has, has the ability to lift people out of poverty, to help, you know, LGBT people, people of color, when the when the when there are barriers removed. Yeah. So my goal in all of this has been I want to remove as many barriers for kids as possible so that they can become the best versions of themselves, um, you know, without any drawbacks really. Um and there's so much struggle right now with COVID. And if anything, COVID shined a spotlight on some of the issues that existed. Mm. Um so um, I just really care a lot about kids and education and, you know, I just see all the benefits it could be, mm. you know, if things were a little easier, uh, especially for mar- marginalized groups. I, you're really speaking my language in terms of removing <laughs> barriers. Yeah. I, I, I hear that. I, so my next question then is. Where do you see these barriers? Are these are you talking about barriers that kids might have in their in their just in their home lives uh, with their families? Are you talking about systemic barriers that the schools themselves often impose? Uh, other than that, like where are you seeing them? And then and then from that, how do you hold the remedy to those? <laughs> well, I would say it's both of those things and probably more. Um, uh, people don't realize how much our schools actually do for kids. We have uh, here a lot of what they call CIT, children in transition, mm-hmm. which are basically kids that are homeless or semi-homeless. They're couch surfing with their parents. They are um, staying with, living with grandparents temporarily. They're in foster care, those types of things. That has severe impacts on their education mm. um, for reasons like, you know, they're tired because they didn't sleep last night because they had to figure out where they're going to go. They're hungry because they haven't eaten dinner uh, or anything the previous day. So schools feed them. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a huge one. And the school lunch debt um, didn't wasn't there just a national thing about school lunch debt recently? Yeah, we don't have to worry about it because the Department of Agriculture uh, made it to where every kid in America can get free uh, meals right now oh my during God. COVID. Thank God. Yeah, and it's not even just uh, lunch. So, uh, we're, for instance, giving uh, kids breakfast and lunch and sometimes dinner yeah. uh, for those families that need it. Yeah. Um, so Because a kid can't learn. If they're hungry, oh, I mean, yeah. what kind of information are you going to absorb? What kind of socialization are you going to be able to get up to if you're, if you're so hungry you can't think straight? That and you're worrying about where your next meal is going to come from yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there are certainly systemic things. We actually, um, um, in my second month, uh, in my first term here, we passed an anti-racism action plan, which is to combat systemic, uh, you know, inherent biases, um, institutional racism, wherever it exists in our school district. And what people don't realize is it, it is, it's usually things that have just been there forever mm. that no one has realized um, you know, it's things, a good example is like um, uh, athletic fees mm. where, you know, p- kids of color at a, at a higher percentage can't afford to pay athletic fees 
and therefore they can't participate. Mm. So we just made it to where we're like, if they can, if they say they can't afford it, we're not going to charge the fee because it's one of those things that, uh, research has shown that athletics as an example is one of the reasons why kids stay in school and graduate and then can go into college. It's it's another buy-in. Exactly. So it's things like that, that, you know, we're working to remove barriers and, um, you know, kind of suss out those those problems. And we have a really vocal um, student voice community within our schools mm. that they are the ones that are asking for these things. And that's huge. Wow. So you have created a public school system where students feel empowered to to interact with their actual local government, not just their school administration, Mm -hmm. but their local government structures. Yeah, I sit in and um, as many of those meetings as I can, we actually have a student advisory council made up a very diverse group of students. We've got LGBT, people of color, um, you know, people with disabilities, all of that that Mm -hmm. are on this student advisory council. And I'm just always blown away by how intelligent and smart they are. They know what they want. They've done research about it, and it's 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 passionate, but it's also like highly intellectual with the arguments that they make. Mm. And so I, you know, lift them up as much as I can in board meetings to say, you know, to the people that are opposing certain things, I'm like, the students want this. Yeah, <laughs> they're the ones saying they need this. So why would we ignore them? Yeah, and that to me feels like it mirrors a larger issue in our society right now, which is which is who do we listen to, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, when we talk about, I'm just off the top of my head, when we talk about homelessness as an issue in a lot of cities around the country, we usually we're like, ah, homelessness is a real problem. What do the property owners think we should do about it, right? <laughs> yeah. As if the people who are homeless aren't voices that have a significant stake in what the solutions are. Mm-hmm. And so we, we constantly teach and reteach ourselves that certain people's voices are the ones we should turn to when we're confronting issues or solving problems. And I think students will learn early on, my voice is a part of this conversation or my voice is not valued in this conversation. And so I think it's so fabulous that you are able to, you know, in a public, you know, official setting to Mm -hmm. say, yes, your voice is a part of this. It's not the only voice, but it is a significant voice. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that we actually have a student trustee on our board and she's non-voting, but she often... Uh, and I think it changes every year, whoever the representative is, but and they're voted by the student body uh, or elected, I should say. And um, even though she's non-voting, she often is very active and speaks up and say, hey, here's what we learned in our advisory council meeting. Um, here's what I'm hearing from kids and, and all of that. So even if if some of my colleagues aren't attending the council meetings, she's at least there to yeah. say this is what's 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 happening on the ground. I'm curious. What would happen if she had a vote? I mean, I, 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 I'm. There may be really good reasons why she doesn't, but I'm curious what would happen if if she was given a vote, an equal vote on the council. That'd be interesting, but it's Nevada law. Uh, <laughs> there's that's... not. There's just not a way to to do that on school boards. Unfortunately, I think we were able to add her, and I think I don't know how long the the position's been there, but. I think because it's non-voting, we can allow that. Yeah, um, sure, sure. And I know a lot of times teachers ask to to also have a non-voting seat, but that's tricky too because um, Nevada law says if you're employed mm. by this institution, you can't have a seat on the you know your employer. It's weird. That's <laughs> so interesting. So again, 
I mean, I don't know. There may be really good reasons for that. I would certainly have to do a little deeper dive on Nevada law or other states' laws on yeah. this. But I'm curious why the people who work for the institution that the board governs would not we why we would not want them to have a say in those decisions. I mean, I think, you know, and certainly this is not your this right. is above your pay grade, Way of above. course. <laughs> Just I'm curious, like, you know, we talk about the issues facing teachers, certainly this last year of oh, COVID. Yeah. You know, the pay discrepancies for teachers versus like how much coaches make at university. Like just all these things in education, how we use our budgets to put our money where our values are or don't or whatever. And I wonder if there's a relationship between the fact that educators aren't voting members, aren't allowed to hold votes in the in the say of these things. Is one of the things uh, the Board of Trustees does determine budgets, either the whole budget or budgetary priorities? Is that part of it too? Yeah. And I guess I should probably explain how, it wor- how our roles work in Nevada. Um, so yes, one of the things we... Um, our, our pure purview is reviewing and approving the entire um, school district budget. Um, wow. And it's a billion-dollar budget. Wow. So it's huge. Um, so there's a lot of complexities to that. We have a really good um, financial team that helps us understand some of the complexities, and, and as well as our funding formulas we get from the state and the county and other revenue um, streams. Um but um, so that's a big part. Um, we operate at kind of a, a thirty thousand foot governing level. So we're not we don't do operational stuff. Uh-huh. So um, our only employee is a superintendent. We can hire and fire the superintendent uh-huh. of the school district. Um, and the superintendent is much more about like okay, so we have this money, this much for books, this much for floors, yeah. this much for whatever. Okay, I see. Yeah, and she's the one that manages operational stuff. Uh, so staffing and. And all, you know, the day to day stuff. Um, and then we review and approve curriculum changes, um, board policy changes, which in turn are also district policies. Ah. Um, so that's a really big deal that people don't pay enough attention to and, until something bad comes up. <laughs> right. Um, and um, I think that's mostly. That's mostly the power we have. As one individual trustee, I don't have my own individual authority to do anything. Mm. Um, we And it's kind of a good thing because we can't all just uh, – there's seven of us. We can't all seven of us be out there advocating for multiple causes or it would be chaos. Right. So we have what's called a, a balanced governance model in place that makes us um, a highly effective board. Um, and it's something that is, you know, we have a, um, an, a consultant that was brought in when I started. He comes every time there's new people uh, called uh, Dr. Alsbury. He's written, written a book on balanced governance oh. because many school boards are so contentious because they don't have these kind of guardrails in place. Uh-huh. So the model itself establishes multiple board policies that kind of are just guiding principles on what we should and shouldn't do. You know, we can't go out there and badmouth another trustee, for example. Right. Or, you know, you could get censured. <laughs> right. So it's it's a it's a kind of a behavioral guide. Exactly. For how to get things done, which makes you, in your words, highly effective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we want. And did and okay, so you just said a bunch of things. I, I know, I gotta, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's awesome, but I, I'm I'm mentally flagging. So there are seven of you, mm-hmm. seven trustees on the board who control a one billion dollar budget. Billion with a B, billion mm-hmm. dollar budget. That is an enormous amount of money. Yeah. Like, I think you're right. People don't really comprehend 
that if they don't really put some thought into who that is, mm-hmm. that's a billion dollars that can go for or against things that you really value. Yeah. Again, and if budgets are moral documents, that's a billion dollars of moral, you know, casino chips in the sense we're in Reno, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's, I think, worth noting. You also said one of the things you do is you decide a larger curricular, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, sort of energy, right? Like you, you, you choose the curricula that the schools put out there. Yeah. Now, this is, I think, something that, as you indicated, we think of when, like, the Texas school board, for instance, is like, cool, we're going to teach the pros and cons of slavery, right? We got to teach, if we're going to teach the bad, we got to teach the good, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, and then in a state like Texas, it's a huge state. And mm-hmm. when they say our textbooks must include, then what that means is that Oklahoma, which is a much smaller state by population, mm-hmm gets this textbooks that Texas decides it wants to teach. And so does like New Mexico and so does Iowa or whatever, right? Like they make these huge decisions that then reverberate around the country. And all of a sudden, not only do you have millions of Texan kids learning the pros of slavery, Mm -hmm. but they also influence all these other sort of dominoes. Deciding curriculum, like you said earlier, is such a huge part of what we're investing in our future for the next like that 20 years from now is going to come to fruition. Yeah. How do you go about communicating with your six colleagues and saying, this is what matters. This is like, we're doing this. We're not doing this. I know you talked about an anti-racist agenda, which I think is fabulous. Does that show up in curriculum? Are there other things that you are able to sort of proactively include? Does the community ever push back on those things? Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. You bet. They are there. Some angry people out there. Um, So uh, let me start from the the curriculum part first, and I'd love to tell you more about the crazy people. Um, We (laughs) or the angry the angry people. Um, The uh, curriculum itself. um, I'll I'll use the anti racism action plan as an example. It was developed out of it came to be out of a resolution that was passed by the previous administration before I came on the board last year. Oh. Um, it was in result of what we're seeing in America, gun violence against black and brown people, violence against Asian Americans. Mm. Um, and we heard from community members in the student body overwhelmingly that the school district needs to do something so that at least in our own little corner of the world, that we take a stand and say, this is not acceptable here. Mm. Um, So it started with the resolution, and the resolution directed the equity and diversity department that we have to develop a plan. And we reviewed and approved that plan in February, and it does contain curriculum components, uh, one of which uh, is coming up on the 25th of May, and it's got a lot of people riled up. Uh, It's the updates to the uh, benchmark K through five English language arts curriculum, so English classes and and okay. social studies um, for K through five. So for really K young through kids. five, yeah. So this this is just the start, right. um, and I think the action plan itself is a five year plan. Mm. It's going to take time. Um, so this this curriculum, it's really only adding a few questions to the curriculum for kids, and it depends on the situation of you know understanding different cultures mm. and some of the struggles of those cultures and all of that, especially since they're a very young group of kids, you have to come about it a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very positive, though, um, because I think we can't know about each other's struggles unless you talk about it right. at a young age. Right. 
Um, and these kids are way smarter than people give them credit for. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we've had a lot of people since it passed, you know, spread chronic misinformation about it and and what it includes. You know, they say it's Marxism and all kinds of crazy stuff. So there are groups in town that have created this whole disinformation campaign. And they were coming to our meetings publicly uh, up until March 30th. Uh, which was our last in-person meeting before we had to move to virtual because they were there was over a hundred people that showed up to uh, speak in opposition to so many things uh, that we were doing that were progressive for a lot of students. Mm. Um, you know, they they were anti-maskers, they were anti-sex education, they're anti-transgender rights. You, if <laughs> sure, those all go together. Yeah, they yeah. they all teamed up to show up. Yeah, and the, you know. And so they refused to wear masks. They um, threatened staff. Whoa. They, uh, I'm told that they tried to storm the auditorium at one point we were in. Whoa. And I'm, a couple of individuals were trying to figure out the doorway to where we were seated uh, as trustees. So it was a little scary. Yeah. Uh, so because we couldn't guarantee the safety of anyone after that, we, uh, the last two meetings we've held have been virtual. Uh, yeah, and so we're only able to do that because of COVID measures um, by the state because we have open meeting laws here. Sure, yeah, that's pretty um, common. Yeah. yeah, and so it's been very stressful. Open meeting laws are something I, I think is a part of good government, right? You yes. Need, you need your government to be transparent. Yep. And as this is something I think a lot about as we get into um, an increasingly guns everywhere society, mm -hmm. Um, I have an opinion that the Second Amendment and the First Amendment are mutually exclusive. And I will tell this to anybody anytime I ever <laughs> get a chance because you are, 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 you, are you really free to speak your mind in the presence of somebody who's openly carrying a firearm and who disagrees with you in a very energetic way? Right. My response is no, you're not. You're not really. As we have seen when in Kentucky, in Michigan, in Idaho, we have armed groups storming political meetings in mm -hmm. order to disrupt them, in order to get their way, which is, I don't know what you call that aside from terroristic threats. Mm -hmm. um, and like that's filtering down to, I, I, you didn't say that they were armed, although it's Nevada. And I think you have to assume that probably at least somebody could be. It could be. And that's the thing is like we, you know, even though you can't see it, you know, there's concealed weapons, there right? Are. Yes, and, absolutely. And, you know, we, even though we had increased security, you just never know. I mean, especially after what happened January 6th, it's just, in my mind, it's like anything can uh, happen. You're exactly right to believe that. And I'm glad you took precautions. And mm -hmm. I think it's a bummer that you had to do virtual meetings, although I think that that's safe for everybody in a myriad of ways. Um, and then, oh, what was the other thing you said that I... Uh, that hit me. Oh, just in terms of like those meetings. So you have people who are very vocal mm -hmm. who are showing up to say, no, we still can't ever talk about transgender people and they should not have any rights. And all the, you know, all these bills that are being passed in different yeah. States to deny sports, the, just to deny the, the humanity of transgender people and their participation in our society, right. Yeah. In the form of sports and form a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So that side is really energized. And I think people who are, progressive who want to see everyone's humanity honored sometimes give themselves a little bit of a pass they say hey kurt congratulations on your victory we did it you did it go in there and fight for us and i want to know is it significant when you hear support during your term not in a campaign not mm -hmm. before an election 
when you hear support from your community, what does that do for you? What are the ways in which that is, is how are people able to support you as you fight for things that matter to them in the face of really entrenched, sometimes dangerous opposition? Yeah, it's complicated because it's like you have these people showing up and then it's COVID. So it's in my mind, it's like the the more reasonable people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, staying home. They write their public comment in through email rather than showing up in person. Right, right. And so it's kind of like, okay. And you so know, the reasonable people who are staying home and there's a hundred people there in the audience. Yeah. It's like who you got left. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and then because this has been a ramp up effort since I took office, they've been slowly gaining numbers um, that, you know, people like teachers are afraid to show up. They're just afraid. And I get that. So oh, it's kind of like, can I ask people to put themselves in harm's way if something goes down? No, no, I'm not going to do that. But what I will say is it's always anytime someone writes to me or um, on my school visits, I have principals or teachers that tell me, like, you're doing such a great job. Like, I thank you so much for passing this one thing or whatever. And it's not necessarily it's not an ego thing for me. It's like when you're hearing so much hate and noise and all of that, you do start to question. You're like, wow, like, am I just, just not in the wrong place? Like, you know, what on earth? And you, um, someone reminded me yesterday, they're like, you know, if it's a hundred people, you have to realize that's like 0.005% of the entire, you know, we have 62,000 students. Mm. So it's kind of like, okay, they're a drop in the bucket, but it's hard when they're loud and very well, uh, organized. Yeah. Um, so I've tried to engage with, um, not necessarily supporters, but other groups of just to be like, Hey, like, I need you to weigh in on these things. I need you to write in, write all the board members because we're only hearing one loud voice. We need to hear from everyone and get as much input as possible because if I don't, then I can't make the best decisions, right? Right. If, if seven school board trustees all here get, get 200 letters from people who are like, never let this yeah. trans kid on the team or, or we cannot teach race, uh, you know, like cri- cri- critical race theory or whatever it is people are so upset about now. Yeah. We can't do these things. If they get 200 letters like that and zero to one letters for those things, then it's, it becomes a pretty hard position to defend because it looks like you're not speaking on behalf of your community. Exactly. And and uh, all of the people don't understand is like all of these emails, they are public comments. So they're entered in the official record that anyone can download and read. And so, you know, one could glean from that and just be like, wow, like people really don't like this. But I, I just have to remind myself like they're, they're a small percentage. The larger percentage either don't know what's happening, they're indifferent, or they trust that it's going to work out because they elected me to be there, even right. though I'm one of seven. <laughs> right, right. So so you think when people write in, I, I think a lot of people sometimes feel like they don't know if it gets heard. They don't know if anybody reads those things. Mm-hmm. They don't know if anybody takes their calls. You know, they don't understand how to measure whether their comment carries any weight. And of course, it's one of, you know, dozens or hundreds or whatever of comments. So it's not going to be the deciding factor. Right. But what I think I'm hearing from you is... It matters. Like it does. It, it it not only do you read those, but the public at large reads those. People from other communities who are looking to see how it goes in Reno, mm-hmm. you know, look at these things. Yeah, it so matters. I mean, I I can't tell you how many times I've received, you know, one email out of the many 
that has like a really interesting viewpoint, mm-hmm. like not a negative one or a positive one, but it's just like, hey, I'm really concerned about this one little thing. And I wondered if you could give me some more information or if you guys could think about this at the meeting. And you'll be surprised. I'll go into the meeting with that question written down saying, oh, I received this email about this. Can you tell us, you know, hey, staff, tell us about the, you know, it does matter because yeah. I read all the emails and so do my colleagues and, um, you know, it's it's you just never know what little like good little nuggets you're going to get out of some of these, um, you know, correspondence from the public. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm so inspired by so many pearls of wisdom you're sharing with us today. I I'm getting a sense that, you know, we, we always talk about we wanted to invest in a better society and this and the other. And like we look at climate change and we're like, ah, oh, if only we had 30 years ago, whatever. But this investing in education right now is is what you do if you care about there being any sort of future, right? Because I I always sort of think about it like, I don't have children, Um, I may someday, but like, I still care about education because I, in my community, because I don't want to live in a neighborhood with dumb kids running around because (laughs) they grow up to be dumb adults. You know, like if they're incapable of thinking critically or absorbing, you know, then all of a sudden you have people falling for whatever disinformation is out there. Mm-hmm. You have people spreading it themselves. You have people, you know, like that's not a society I have an interest in um, propagating in that way. I think it's quite harmful in a lot of ways. And we always want to look at kids and be like, ah, oh, I can see it's going to get better. But it's not just going to get better on its own. The kids are not the future unless we invest in them like they are. Yes. I wonder sort of in that vein – you talked about, um, you know, wanting to make school um, uh, safe and vibrant for people and remove barriers. Mm-hmm. And I know you've written and talked very publicly about your own background as a kid. You know, you said mentioned moments ago about uh, being outed as a 14-year-old, which is a very, you know, very vulnerable age. Mm-hmm. What are things you can do from your position on this board to to intervene on behalf of kids who are vulnerable, whose whose identities have been um, politicized in kind of hateful ways, not kind mm-hmm. of very hateful very ways. Very hateful. <laughs> um, what, what is it that you personally being on this office, because are, are, I mean, are there a lot of openly gay school board members? And is that a common thing here in Nevada? I'm the only one. You're the only one in the whole state. In the whole state. You're the only openly LGBTQ person in the whole state on a school board i mean that's that's Mm -hmm. kind of remarkable so does your presence as the person you are make a difference and how i would say so and i think it's it's one of those things where you know of course you don't know how much of an impact it has until something happens um i'll give you an example at the last in-person meeting we had we were voting on an updated policy that would allow staff to um, show support for student civil rights by having pride flags and things like that in the classroom. It didn't, there's some technical stuff we had to figure out. So it went back to committee, but I wore a rainbow tie uh, at the school board meeting. Right on. And, you know, I'm, I've always been very vocal and honest about this. And I had so many people who um, messaged or emailed or even um, when public comment came around, there were students there who were backing this policy. And one of them said, I feel supported when I see pride flags in classrooms or this or that, or when my trustee has one around his neck. Oh. So she wrote it while we were, you know, she had seen me in on the screen in one of the little overflow rooms we have while people are waiting. 
So I was, <laughs> I was sitting on the dais, like choking up under my mask. I'm like, oh my God, don't cry. Don't cry right here. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the last thing I need is, oh, trustee breaks down in tears. Um, oh, right, sure. In the, in the local papers, yeah. Um, and then when I go to schools, I make a, a, a point to wear some sort of rainbow thing, whether it's a, I'm on my mask or I have like a little lapel pin that I'll wear that has the American flag and the pride flag yeah. together. Um, and I have students that'll approach me and be like, oh, are you LGBT? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. And they just, you know, go about their day and I'm like, oh, I, you know. That's such a high school response. It is. <laughs> they're like, cool. They're Bye. I'm like, okay. You know, but you know, I, it's one of those things where you're like, you, you know, that has to make some sort of difference. And I just still meet so many students. One of my schools that I love to death is, um, uh, it's called Innovations High School and it is a, um, it has a bad rap because in the community it's considered where the bad kids go, right? Oh, goodness. But it's not. It is – I was so blown away when I walked in. Like, it's such a positive culture, like, so welcoming. And it's where a lot of LGBT kids gravitate towards because mm-hmm. they've experienced trauma in other schools because wow. they're transgender or what have you. And they're like, I feel safe here. I feel empowered here. There's, you know, pride flags. There's – um, all kinds of stuff that just they, they uh, implemented restorative justice principles in the classrooms to where if there's a problem, they work it out. Wow. And it's just revolutionary to see. Um, and, you know, those kids, they have a 94 percent graduation rate. Wow. Yes. Is that that feels high to me? Is that, that is very high. Wow. Um, and they have a really great principal over there. So it's just like when I went there and I was like, oh, my God, my people are here. Yeah. And like they're doing well. They're being supported. And um, and you certainly you wish like every school was like that. But the truth is it's reality. You know, they're not every school is going to have that same welcoming environment. But that's the goal. Right. Well, when you think back to your your education mm-hmm. in Georgia, in like a kind of a smaller town in Georgia, right? Yeah, it was uh, like forty two hundred people. Oh, a little wee town. Yeah. Were you aware of any figures, any teachers, any administrative mm-hmm. figures that were LGBTQ? No, no. If they were, I I didn't know then, and I don't know now. Yeah. I it's just you know it was one of those things um, back then, and it, and there were some teachers who were awful. They should have been fired. Frankly, I had one. Uh, this is a story I tell a lot to to people to help them understand because I'm only 30 years old, yeah. and so this is not that long ago. Right. Um, so when I was a junior, I think in high school, my American history teacher, who doubled as a pastor on weekends, um, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, first day we're talking about how the theories of how men made it to North America, and you know, we're going through all the theories and gets to the Adam and Eve theory. And he says, uh, and by the way, children, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Like right there. And and people are clapping and they're just so happy. And I'm sitting there in the front row just, you know, wishing I could just die right there. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I reported him and they said, well, he's retiring this year, so we're not going to do anything. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow, yeah, cool. So, great. Yeah. So there was a lot of instances of, of um, bullying and harassment I received. I mean, there was there was many times where I couldn't even enter a room without being called the F word. <sighs> and, um, you know, it was really rough. So I, but, you know, it's one of those things that kind of made me who I am despite all of that. So now I can stand up for these kids. Yeah. And uh, try and be strong for them and advocate for them. So... I'm always looking at 
whether it's board policies, I'm looking at like, how are we doing with gender inclusion? You know, one policy was actually my first motion was um, we have a policy on on having a welcoming and uh, inclusive atmosphere. And they had gender in there. And I said, can we update that to say gender identity and expression? Mm. And they were like, huh. <laughs> and they were like, well, why, why is that? And I explained it to them and they were like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So it's just as easy as that. It's just as easy as that if you are there, there to say it. Exactly. If you got someone in the room. Yeah. I, I mean, this to me is the is the core of why, you know, offices like yours, boards like yours, are are worthy of people's like attention and fandom, frankly, right? Because because it's about people who have learned the hard way mm -hmm. what the systems do to people. Going back in there and saying, not on my watch, right? I, mm -hmm. We don't have to put other kids through what little 14-year-old Kurt went through. Exactly. We don't have to do that. We can change that. And to a, people who, who, don't, who don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, it looks like a bunch of boring, arcane rules and policies and meetings that are frustrating. And it is all those things. But the thing is, beneath those things are real human lives and mm -hmm. experiences and those kids are going to grow up to be members of our society contributing something and what are they going to be contributing is it going to make the people like that bump into them on the street feel better or safer or worse or fearful you know like, yeah exactly so I, I think that all is so wonderful and you also talk about i know you wrote i think you wrote an op-ed in the in the reno gazette journal is this correct? you got it right that is um it was about mental health yeah. in schools. And I, I think that something I've been really heartened about is seeing public officials, people who run for office, people who hold positions like yours, talking increasingly about mental health as a, as a real thing that, that our society can take responsibility for in helping people. That it's not an individual who's like so broken that it's their thing, that they got to gotta fix your own stuff. Like your mental health is a product of the way society treats you in conjunction with a lot of other factors, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's incumbent upon us to contribute to that, to like help you. Like it does, certainly doesn't do us any good to let you fester, right? Because what, what's that going to help anybody? Yeah. And so how does that look for you? Like what kinds of things proactively are you able to do in the world of mental health, especially given the year that teachers and, and students had? Yeah, I, I would say one of the um, things that are coming up soon is um, we are getting a third round of federal funds hey. related to COVID. And um, it's it, it ha allows for school districts to kind of choose some of the things they want to do. One of them was mental health. And so I've been vocal in, in board meetings and, and asking staff. I said, I want to see a proposal. What can we do in a big way on mental health? Uh, one of the things City of Reno did, for example, is they um, contract they bought a one year subscription of Talkspace for the entire city. Um, for if you're a city resident, you can apply and get it free of charge for a full year. Wow! Amazing! Wow! And even though not everyone takes advantage of it, um, I mean, if it saves one life, that is amazing. Um, so I am hope I'm looking forward to seeing what the district comes forward with in terms of proposals. I've certainly made my, you know, kind of wishes to be known. Of course, I can't direct them to do things as one trustee, but they are they're also on the same page. They being on the boots on the ground, they understand the need 
for mental health services for our kids because during COVID, I mean, you know, they're, the schools are on the front line for things like child abuse, mm-hmm. uh, for sex trafficking, something that a lot of people don't think about. And it's the most horrible thing you could even imagine in the world, but it happens. Um, and, and, you know, abuse, all kinds of abusive stuff. And then just um, feelings of loneliness, you know, having su- suicidal ideations, mm. you know, uh, during this time of, you know, when so many kids are on distance learning, they haven't seen their friends for over a year. That has a tremendous impact on their mental health. Um, so this is probably <laughs> the first time, like, both sides of the spectrum are kind of in agreement of like, yeah, this is important. Um, I mean, you saw many people advocating for schools to be fully reopened, you know, even at the beginning of the pandemic because they were concerned about kids' mental health. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's something that we're finally like, yes, we're in agreement. Like we have to do something about this. Mm. And as we're looking at uh, kids coming back to school, hopefully in person next school year, um, I have said, you know, we need to we need to assess what the situation is. We need to we need to figure out what each kid has gone through, what they need. Um, and it's challenging because of funding historically in Nevada education funding. We we're ranked towards the bottom of the list in terms of education funding. So we don't have enough social workers. We don't have enough school counselors and things like that. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do with these federal dollars yeah. uh, to, to you know, support our students. Cause it's heartbreaking. I get briefed every time there's a student suicide. Um, anytime, you know, a student passes away for whatever reason, that has an effect on the rest of the kids in that school. Yeah. And we actually, this week had one of our high schools lost a coach. He was hit and killed uh, crossing the street. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and and so I'm just like, oh my god, all those high school students that he works with, yeah, all affected. You know, it's so it's so complex and so big. Um, but well, I think I think our colleagues are committed to doing what we can. Yeah, even just that you have to sort of utter the phrase every time a student commits suicide, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like you indicated earlier, schools are not merely education services yeah they are the the major transformation ground for for human beings between the ages of 5 and 18 um even earlier in some cases and even later in some cases yeah i've got a lot of pre-k um in in my elementary schools yeah Yeah. so they are there like maybe three or four sometimes and a lot of kids spend more time with schools than, than they do with their families with their parents and mm-hmm. and that's a lot of responsibility so you know i i take your work on the board of trustees uh, as like a real uh commitment to to not just the kids but to the people who are gonna have to live with the kids as they grow up you know yeah it's it's truly comes back to like what kind of society do you want to live in at the end of the day and i just want these kids to feel you know, like, you know, once they're done, you know, they're they're set up pretty well for mm. a good start to yeah. adult life. Well, this has been such an educational and illuminating conversation. Before we end it, I just want to give you the opportunity to leave the audience with whatever is sort of top on your mind, whatever you think you'd like them to take away from this conversation on this beautiful spring day. 
Yeah, I would say like wherever your listeners live, like just engage with public education, get to know your school boards, the makeup of it, not just the election side of it, which they should be involved in, but, um, you know, kind of get to know the issues before, I would say before it's too late, uh, you know, before a decision happens that you feel would be harmful to students, Mm. because it's a lot harder to undo once something's been done. And so... Being being uh, involved and vocal and, you know, letting your voice heard is super important, not just for the students, but for society. Wise words indeed. <laughs> well, Kurt Thigpen, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, my God, what a blast. That's it for today. This episode was produced by me, Brian. Theme music by the Castell Brothers. A huge thank you to Kurt Thigpen. Since his tenure ended as the first openly gay school board trustee in Nevada, Kurt has been very open about the journey he has been on to recover. He published that op-ed I mentioned in which he talks about the challenges he faced in office and the therapy and healing he sought since resigning. That piece got some national attention and he was subsequently asked to appear on Meet the Press to talk about his experience as well as doing interviews in ProPublica and some other outlets. He published an excellent book called How to Win an Election, an Essential Guide to Campaigning During Adversity. And he is currently serving on a governor-appointed committee aiming to make a big chunk of community college courses free in Nevada. All that and plenty more as he continues as the CEO of Ace Studios, a social impact marketing agency. If you want to order the book, which is only six bucks for a digital copy, so think about it. I'll link to that and the op-ed and some articles about the money trail of school board protests in this episode's show notes. You can also follow Kurt on Instagram and Twitter at Kurt Thigpen. And you can follow us on Twitter at Local Selection and on Instagram at Local Selection Podcast. If you like what you heard here, if you think this stuff matters, please share this podcast with a friend Give us five stars on wherever you're listening and subscribe to this feed so you can catch new episodes when they come out. And lastly, check out our website, localselectionpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Patreon and fabulous merch, all of which helps make this show sustainable. Thanks for joining us today and see you next time in a new neighborhood.